0: For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we grow under, groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He has prepared us for this thing as God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God. And I hope we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Before I get into this morning's message, I want to say again, uh, echoing the words of Pastor Clark, how good it is to have Young and Heart Choir back with us. God bless you, brothers and sisters. We uh, appreciate your ministry. And uh, before the service, I was glad to see that uh, you've added to your numbers uh, since you were last here. And that's always a good thing. And Connie, it's my understanding that for those who'd like to maybe take some of this music home with them, You're going to have some CDs available in Fellowship Hall? Okay, so you know where to find them. I told you after the service. Um, And I want to say something uh, in advance of next weekend. I'm going to be over in Arizona uh, next Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, Many of you know that I really enjoy archery and that I hunt animals with my bow and arrow. And if you've got a problem with that, look up Genesis (laughs) 27.3. Genesis 27.3, look it up. It's a biblical thing. But um, there's not going to be any hunting because there's no hunting season going on right now. Anyone hunting now would be a poacher. Um, but this is a competition where there's all kinds of physical challenges and obstacle courses. It's not just shooting your bow. Uh, last year, in this same event, I know to many of you I'm just a kid, but I was the old man. And some of them were calling me Yoda. Um, and I'm told that, once again, I'm the oldest competitor. And uh, since I'm so old, in the one-mile race, when you carry your bow and put weight on your back, I only have to carry 60 pounds in my backpack. But the real youngsters have to carry 100, so pray for them. But on a Sunday morning, um, I'm going to gather with some other, it's called Train to Hunt Challenge. And some of us have connected with email and Facebook. Uh, we're going to gather for, uh, for worship on the Lord's Day over uh, south of Phoenix at the archery range. So while you're worshiping here, uh, I'll be worshiping there. And um, I don't ask you to pray for me to win. I just ask you to pray for me to survive. (laughs) Amen? Okay. Whenever we turn to the Word of the Lord, I think it's very important that we understand what was happening contextually that we understand what was happening historically whenever uh, the Word comes to us, whether that's an Old Testament lesson or a New Testament reading, or even um, an epistle, a letter from the Apostle Paul. I think it's very important for those of us who seek to be in mission, leading people to Christ, to understand what was going on in Corinth when the Apostle Paul was there witnessing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want us to think about Corinth Historically, there's some important things to know and understand about Corinth. And it can help us appreciate um, how Paul was so courageous and undaunted of relying on Christ alone and the power of the Holy Spirit to bear fruit and bring about uh, gospel changes in that city. So let's think about Corinth, first of all, just as a city, and then we'll get to the church that was planted there. When Paul arrived in Corinth around 51 AD, he was entering a city that had a very unique history. Long before Paul was even born, Corinth had been the richest port city and the largest city in all of ancient Greece. And it was one of several metropolitan communities, it was one of several towns that came to resist the spreading power and control of the Romans. And they did their best, but their resistance as a people was not enough. The Romans, did you know this? They attacked Corinth in 146 B.C. Thousands of men died in battle. Many women did, too. And sadly, for the women who survived and the children, they were sold into slavery. Julius Caesar, have you heard that name before? Reestablished Corinth as a Roman colony in 44 B.C., and it became a very diverse community. Italians, Greeks, Syrians, Egyptians, Judean slaves were given the opportunity to go and live there as free men and women. And within only a matter of years, thousands of eager settlers came from all around the known world of the Mediterranean to be part of this once again new and thriving port city. Once again, Corinth had become the place to be if you wanted to make some money as an entrepreneur, if you were a trader, if you worked in business or commerce. I wish that's all I could say about Corinth historically. But we know that Corinth also had a reputation for its numerous pagan temples. One historian estimates that there were over 1,000 women who were part of temple ceremonies And because there's ladies here and children, I'm going to say these women serviced the men. You understand what I'm saying? Do I need to go into more detail? They serviced the men who came to these pagan temples, not so much for worship, but for personal pleasure. Corinth was known for this so much so that a phrase came to be used around the Mediterranean. If you referred to someone as a Corinthian girl, that was not a compliment. Those would be fighting words if someone said, your mama, your sister, your daughter is a Corinthian girl. Do we understand each other? This is the context in which Paul brings the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he didn't do that missionary work in Corinth alone. Some of you know um, Priscilla? Priscilla? And Aquila they had lived in Rome happily as Jews but they were expelled like so many and they found a new home in Corinth and there in Corinth because of the Apostle Paul they heard the news of Jesus Christ and became leaders in that ancient Corinthian church you can read about these two in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts at the time Paul writes this second letter There were many problems in the church, not the least of which was the immorality that surrounded them, but the immorality that was infiltrating the Christian church itself. And to make matters even worse, have any of you ever belonged to a church where there was schism and factions and division? Hmm? This was going on in the Corinthian church. There was a majority of believers who remained faithful to the apostolic preaching of Paul, but there were some people who'd been influenced by false prophets, false apostles, and they were resisting Paul's authority. Not just Paul's authority, but the authority of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. So to those who say... Oh, it must have been so much easier to believe in Jesus and serve the Lord and do mission work in the early church when things were simpler. I just want to say, oh, really? It's never been easy. Mission work has never been easy, and I don't know that our Lord intended it to be easy. Didn't Jesus say, if you want to follow me, get in line and pick up your cross? The challenges of mission work are many, and what was going on in Corinth is a perfect example of how challenging it has been from the start. Now, in today's world, when it comes to planting new churches... There are mission experts. These are smart people. I admire them. They do all kinds of feasibility and viability studies. Demographic profiles with distributions of various existing religious affiliations can be provided. And there's nothing at all inherently wrong with this knowledge, this data. It's good. It's helpful to know something about an area, a community in which any Christian community wants to plant a new congregation. However, the Apostle Paul did not rely on that kind of information. And if there had been a feasibility study available to him, Corinth would have been the last place many so-called church growth experts would have recommended for starting a new congregation. The city was known for being so completely anti-Christian. It was pagan. It was known for its excesses, its temple immorality with all those Corinthian girls. It was known as a city of unfettered hedonism. Yet Paul went to preach the gospel exactly there. He went there, and as a result, Jews, Greeks, men and women, hundreds, if not thousands, came to new life in Jesus Christ. And we need to remember this. Paul was not trying to give them one more option when it came to the smorgasbord of religious choices. There was plenty of religious activity going on in Corinth. He didn't come to bring another religious choice. He came to bring the good news of a living relationship with a living God who came to us as the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ crucified and risen. And he did that in a city that was anything but Christ-centered. But Paul went there. Paul was there for the glory of Christ alone and serving Christ, the crucified king, alone. Perhaps you've heard the story of two salesmen who were sent to a remote island to see if there was a market for their footwear products. The first salesman reported back to the home office Whoever sent me here needs to be fired. There's no viable market for our shoe company. The people here go barefoot. Get me out of here. The second salesman reported to the home office very excitedly, this is a fantastic business opportunity. No one here is wearing shoes yet. Send me as many shoes as possible immediately. Now, when we remember our call to lead others to Christ, this is our mission as a congregation here at Faith. It was Paul's assignment from the Lord back then, it's ours today. And we are reminded that we're to do this in every generation. We can do this with the attitude of the first salesman or the second. And by this, I mean so many members of this congregation have told me, Pastor. You've got it easy. I mean, every Sunday and throughout the week, you're working with Christians. And at my workplace, in my school, in my neighborhood, there's lots of people who aren't Christian at all. I get that. But don't tell me my work is easy, okay? We all have our challenges. And the people around you at work at school, in your neighborhoods. I know they may have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, and they may even be hostile to the faith we share in the Lord. But we need to remember, these are people for whom Christ died. About a year ago, I asked everyone in the congregation here at Faith to think and pray about one person, not 20, not 10, not 5, but one person with whom they could share their faith, and then swallow hard, pray even harder, and invite them to worship with them. Do you remember that invitation that some of you told me was a challenge? I never asked for a show of hands on how many of you actually invited someone to worship with you, and I'm not going to do it this morning. But I'm going to ask you, as long as I have the breath of life in me, and as long as I'm your pastor, for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, to think missionally in your daily life and vocation. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or someone who works 60 hours a week outside the home, I want you to think of your station, your job, your place in our community, your post, the place in which God has planted you as your assignment for him to be his witness in the language of the Apostle Paul in today's reading, to be an ambassador for Christ. Think about ambassadors. Years ago, Kirsten and I had the chance to go to Israel, finally, with a group from here at Faith. It was a trip that we had talked about, dreamt of, and prayed over for many years. Some of you know that I was originally supposed to go to Israel in November of 2001, but then something called 9-11 happened, and the entire group of pastors with whom I was going to travel to the Holy Land was told the trip is canceled. When we finally made it to Israel, I remember driving past the U.S. Consulate General Office several times while we were in Jerusalem. Amid all the different cultures, the languages, the traditions, it warmed my heart to see the American flag and the seal of our United States on the building. And those who work at the embassy in Tel Aviv, like those in the consulate office in Jerusalem, are to be honorable representatives of these United States. They are not posted there to function as autonomous politicians seeking under-the-table business deals for selfish gain. Think about ambassadors. They do not represent themselves, but the one they serve. You are an ambassador for Christ. You represent Jesus to the world. And if you doubt your credentials, well, the Lord's already told you in his word, he's made you new. It's not the old you that qualifies for this ambassadorship. It's the new you. We are in Christ's new creations. That means always struggling and fighting against sin and temptation to live the new life that is ours in the Lord. Many people are burdened by their past. Secret sins... Unwise decisions, hard regrets, tremendous shame. Remember, Paul was not preaching the gospel to a group of Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts in Corinth. It was a city known for the lewdest of behaviors and immorality that some of us can only imagine. And he was calling folks just like that to a new life, to Jesus, who has the power to make the foulest clean. Through the years of ministry here at Faith, I have invited countless people to come and hear the gospel with us in worship. More than a few of them have said, Oh, Bruce, if I walked in your church, the roof would come crashing down. These people think they're so terrible, they're so wicked, that the church building could not withstand their presence. In other words, when you think about this, they think their sin is a greater force than God's grace. So I tell them, you may have done some bad things in your life. Welcome to the club. You may be doing them now. But nothing in your past or your present is bigger than God's love for you. In fact, not even the gates of hell are any match for the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other end of that spectrum, of those who just are overwhelmed by their past and the shame it brings, are those who say, Well, Bruce, I'm glad you're a pastor helping the weak but I have no need for grace or mercy or forgiveness. I've met so many people who hold themselves in the highest esteem, and they say things like this. I obey the law. I've never robbed a bank. I never killed anyone. I go to work. I mind my own business. I don't cause any trouble. I don't need forgiveness. Well, to these people, we need to show them and teach them that life is more than minding your own business and staying out of prison It's about having a new life that only Jesus Christ can provide. Rule keepers may not spend time in jail, but without Jesus Christ, the Word of God tells us that they're just as lost as any inmate with a death sentence. God says so, not the preacher. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and the wages of sin is death. So we are bold in our mission even if the odds are stacked against us, even if the feasibility study of your office or your neighborhood or your school indicates that most people don't have time for church. And we do none of this witnessing by our own authority. Jesus took our sin. Did you hear, Paul? He took our sin unto himself and gave us his righteousness. He creates the new you and the new me. We are not appointed as ambassadors for Christ because of our impressive resumes. We are not ambassadors because of our stellar reputations. We are made ambassadors because of this great, holy, singular exchange. Jesus takes your sin and mine and says, how about my righteousness in place of your sin? That's the deal he makes. Pretty good deal. And many people who are hurting will ask the question, what do I have to do in order to have this new life, in order to have this righteousness? What do I have to do, what do I have to do to be saved? And with all due respect to Christians from many different denominations, we Lutherans were the first to remind the world, it's not so much what you need to do, but it is what Jesus has done on your behalf. In Christ alone is our hope, our strength, our peace. It's not so much what we have to do, but trusting in what he has done for us, believing in the promise of his gospel, and then simply living in the power of his resurrection and grace. God, give us that power. God, renew us in that trust. God, help us all receive the precious gift. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the new life that is ours because of your grace and mercy through no merit of our own. We who were as good as dead have been made alive in Christ. Take our sins, Lord. Nail them to the cross. Send your Holy Spirit to cleanse us and make us new as only you can do. Lord, whatever shame we have, take it away. Remind us that we are your beloved sons and daughters. Take away our pride, Father, and teach us that we'd be nothing without you. And use this congregation of believers and use us as individual ambassadors to lead others to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, take away any hindrance that would keep us from telling others of your great love and mercy. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Clark. Please stand as we say together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit,